Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Andre Mendez, the Chief Information Officer at the Commerce Department. Andre, always a pleasure to have you come on. Thanks for taking the time. Jason, always a pleasure as well. No surprise, we're going to start off today talking about cloud. Ah. You always got to talk about cloud. But I think what's important about our conversation today is not so much that it's about the cloud. It's really the next step that I'm seeing a lot of agencies working through. So let's start with the beginning. What's your strategy around cloud, moving applications, moving uh, workloads to the cloud? Where are you today? Give me, give me the latest. Ever since I came on board with the uh, Department of Commerce, uh, we made sure that the, uh, you know, the cloud migration was one of our main strategies. Now, I've encountered a situation where amongst all the bureaus, there were some that were very cloud proficient already and some that hadn't even started that process. And so over the last three years, we dramatically accelerated that. That has been uh, enabled uh, by, you know, the maturation of, of the vendors and the cloud itself, where there is a level of trust that sometimes with some folks was not there before but also by a, a dire need uh, to control costs uh, and to get rid of legacy applications. And so the cloud provides this, uh, this tremendous opportunity for a triangulation where uh, you know, instead of having to develop a system in-house and going through all of the capital purchases for doing a new system, you effectively are, are leveraging capital investments from, from somebody else and moving that money to operations costs, which are a lot easier to come about in the federal government, as you know. You talked about over the last three years, roughly speaking, percentage-wise, can you give me a sense of how many workloads, what percentage, how deep into the cloud are you? And then we'll get into whether it's platform infrastructure or software or all of the the above, I imagine. So so just to start with, we have always a preference for software as a service, and then platform as a service, and then infrastructure as a service. With uh, at least a couple of our bureaus, we are at 100%, uh, and one of them, ITA, uh, the other one, FirstNet, uh, you know, that has been accomplished uh, quite, quite a long time ago. With the larger players, it's a, it's a little more difficult. But, for example, the census has conducted the, uh, a very substantial part of the 2020 census in it, and that migration has only accelerated. As a matter of fact, I had an opportunity to meet with them today for the plans for 2024, and the first thing that they told me is that that was their main initiative is for all of their new ways of doing business to be entirely cloud-based. Now, for example, an organization like NOAA has a different uh, set of environments that, that requires some presence in the data center. Supercomputing is still you know, a good proposition in terms of capital investment and leveraging that until it, it becomes uh, you know, uh, unsuitable. And, uh, and other um, applications that are longstanding and that are more difficult to move because they're mission critical to life and property and, and therefore need to be executed in an absolutely perfect and seamless way. There is a certain risk aversion there that, that made the, the move a, a little more uh, lengthy from a time standpoint. For the smaller bureaus, it's really, uh, you know, has been accelerated. I would say overall, although it's difficult to ascertain the exact number, I would say there were somewhere between 65 and 70 percent, uh, which is dramatically higher than it was. Interesting, as you kind of break it down, someone like ITA, and I know Joe Paiva, the former CIO at ITA, is one of the people kind of really launched Absolutely. this going. And Joe has a show. I'll give Joe a plug. He has a show on our, our station, so uh, he's still in the community. Those folks have really seen the big benefits, while folks like NOAA, even Census and PTO and some of the other ones, they're, they're just getting there. And you mentioned this idea of software as a service. 
Is that the preference because it just relieves all that pressure? Absolutely. Go ahead. Absolutely. When you look at software as a service, okay, not only do you get rid of all of the issues associated with the hardware, you'd also get rid of all of the issues associated with the operating system uh, and, to a large degree, the application. But even when you talk about software as a service, I would like to make a big distinction between software as a service with customizations and without. So um, you might have heard me before talk about the migration of our financial systems and our grants management system into a cloud environment, software as a service. And effectively, by doing that without any modifications, without any customizations, we're forcing our folks to really work with, um, with us in terms of developing new workflows that are based on industry best practices, both inside and outside of the government, rather than doing things that the way that they used to because they were able to customize the system to the hilt. It's a difficult transition, but it's one that I think in the long term generates a massive amount of improvement, uh, not only in, uh, in, in your overall control over expenditures, but also in the ability to then migrate through upgrades uh, and uh, interfaces to other systems in a very systematic manner, in a very uh, conditioned manner, that removes a lot of, of that uh, later work that tends to be so costly with O&M. I'm glad you brought up the financial management system and the grants management system. We talked about that roughly about a month, month or and a half ago at the Fatara roundtable. Don't call it a hearing. You know that. Jerry Conlon will get mad. As we talked about that, it was pushing right up against the potential shutdown. You said, well, if all goes well, did it go well? We didn't have a shutdown, so that's good. It has been going very well. Now, we might still have some disruption if there's a shutdown at a later stage. But right now, both the financial system and the grants management system are going through all of their shutdown and basically reboot processes. And so far, everything has gone absolutely swimmingly. That's not to say that something couldn't happen with data migrations, which are always tricky, as you know. But by and large, it has been uh, about as good as we could possibly hope for. But it's also the result of massive preparation, massive preparation. I appreciate you sharing that because I think that's a good news story and we don't necessarily always uh, talk about good news (laughs) stories, especially when you talk about big, massive systems like that. Let me maybe go back to to this idea of cloud and and the migration that's happening. You talk about once we have systems in cloud, then you have to manage them. And and then what's the right cloud and making those decisions? Does commerce have any sort of cloud broker? Do you have any sort of governance? Talk a little bit about the cloud governance approach. We don't have a cloud broker per se. We have tried to establish uh, BPAs, you know, blanket purchase agreements, so that people could benefit from those economies of scale. But even that has been a little bit of a, uh, of a, uh, you know, a, a difficult startup. Uh, the cloud environment and the financials involved with cloud environment have, have been changing dramatically over, over the years, right? Uh, I think that there is an understanding that the functionality has dramatically increased. Um, but at the same time, it, there has been a very clear realization that some of the cost benefits that you're getting up front, right. right, have been recognized not only by the users, but also by the vendors. And so the vendors have uh, very much uh, put forth an effort to add additional functionality, add additional cost, so that from a revenue standpoint, they're not seeing major declines. Now, I think that in general, that's a good proposition. Right. What we want is for the IT departments at the Department of Commerce, its bureaus, and throughout the federal government and the private sector to stop dealing with commodity uh, stuff and dealing with the stuff that really brings value to the table. So is there going to be an enormous amount of savings 
from migrations to the cloud? Absolutely not. Would in some, in some cases, actually you have higher expenditures? Yes, but they will come with additional functionality, additional capability that fully justifies what we're paying for. For example, in the cybersecurity arena, the software as a service that we're now deploying for, as part of our zero trust architecture is light years ahead of the functionality that we have when we talk about uh, in-house systems. So am I willing to pay a little more for that? Of course I am. Am I willing to pay a little more for that additional monitoring and the immediate use of solutions that get implemented, including patching and additional signatures for viruses and, and, and zero-day attacks that are implemented a lot faster if somebody else is doing it for everybody rather than each one of my bureaus having to do it for its own bureau? Uh, you know, if there's somebody on vacation, you know, even the silliest of things can create an environment where there's an additional amount of time between the vulnerability being disclosed, the vulnerability being patched, and of course that's ripe time for all of the individuals that also read the disclosure but have ill intentions, right? So uh, I think that the, the costs are going up potentially, but the functionality is going dramatically up. And that's even before we introduce the AI component of all of this. I'm glad you bring up the cost issue. I, I remember years ago when it was cloud first instead of cloud smart, there was all this potential for cost savings. And then slowly people were realizing, okay, maybe there's a little cost savings on the front end, but not really. How do you explain that to your executives, the secretary, the deputy secretary, the assistant secretary for management that, hey, my budget needs to get a little bigger because as I go move more applications to the cloud, there's a higher cost. Is that a hard conversation to have? Uh, quite honestly, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I think that what it allows us to focus is on the functionality that is brought to the table, which is what's important, yeah. right? Uh, they never wanted to hear anything about data centers or servers or storage or networks, right? It means nothing to, to the business folks that are, that are running these agencies. What matters is functionality, right? Yeah. And then if the cost is commensurate with the functionality, there is a good buy, buy, buy solution. Now, I will tell you that. We can generate enormous economies of scale by also stop doing it cloud the way that we've done cloud, yeah. the way that we've done computing before, the way that we've done data centers before, uh, since the beginning of computing, right? Which is everybody gets their own silo, everybody implements their own systems, everybody has their own staffing, uh, you know, replications, and we end up spending an enormous amount of money and always being subject to the lowest common denominator, both from a security standpoint and from a functionality standpoint. With what we're doing at the, with the Zero Trust architecture, for example, with our whole e-commerce uh, solution, what we're saying is we are going to come up with an architecture that fits everybody because there's nothing, nothing specific about cybersecurity that, uh, that we need to worry about, and then create an environment where we generate those economies of scale, and we also have better manageability because instead of having 13 different EDR solutions, we might have two or three. Instead of having 13 different uh, ICAM solutions, we might have two or three. It becomes a lot easier to federate, and the economies of scale are absolutely uh, insane. For our small bureaus, they can benefit from all of the knowledge of the large bureaus and, and do, do implementations in a much faster way. I am a true believer in sharing talent across the bureaus that has specific subject matter expertise so that we don't have to replicate it all over every single bureau. It's just not needed and it's a waste of money. 
Andre, there's a lot to dig out of that, but first we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest today is Andre Mendez, the Chief Information Officer at the Commerce Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Aptio on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Aptio on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Andre Mendez, the Chief Information Officer at the Commerce Department. Andre, before break, you started talking about this idea of a whole commerce solution for, for zero trust, for cybersecurity. And it kind of tags me back to something you said earlier when you talked about grants management, you talked about financial management. Is this whole commerce solution approach something you can do for cloud? Again, individual systems, maybe yes, like a grants or, or finance or even cyber, but, but it's hard to kind of, hey, we're never, you're never going to have one cloud. We know that, but there's so many different options to go to software as a service, so many different options to even go to infrastructure as a service. How are you striking that same balance to take advantage and save money and get better services and the like? So the BPAs play a part in that without a shadow of a doubt, right? We don't want our bureaus to be negotiating for the same functionality individually again and again and again for a variety of reasons, including the price, Jason. One of the things that people rarely talk about or sometimes even consider is the fact that for every contract in the federal government that is established, right, there's an enormous amount of reviews from a legal standpoint, from a privacy standpoint, from a procurement standpoint that takes place behind the scenes that consumes resources and that is never really accounted for. So if we can go from having six different accounts with, let's say, Amazon or Azure or Google or Oracle, and we get into one or two, just one or two, we've just obviated an enormous amount of administrative work in the back end, not to mention the ATOs. If we have ATOs that are commerce-wide, with then, you know, minor modifications for each one of the bureaus as needed, if, if their circumstances warranted, that's a massive amount of uh, of uh, do and redo every year that we take out of the t- off the table. And that's, so the, the savings there are not as easy to quantify, but over time become absolutely enormous. And I saw that at the BBG in grand scale uh, because we really went cloud so early in the process. So for me, that, that is absolutely essential. The other thing is we can get into an environment where we use best practices. Again, where not everybody is inventing their wheel, not everybody is implementing their systems, and we use tried and true solutions that have already been debugged, that have been you know commissioned, that have been implemented, that have been you know subject to, Gone to, to the ATO, you know, all of that yeah, stuff, yeah. right? And so you know that, that's absolutely something that not everybody quantifies, uh, that is difficult to quantify, but nevertheless brings enormous benefit to the table. You mentioned. Just the contract amount of money that you can spend on a contract. And I think that's really key. I think people lose sight of what the cost is. Again, going from six or seven for AWS, Azure, Google, Oracle, IBM, whatever, down to two or even one contract right. for the entire commerce department mm-hmm. for that, is, it would save you a ton of effort. Where do you see going next for this type of whole of commerce approach to services? The disciplines continue to multiply, right? So basic, our approach is for anything that is being used, uh, you know, as part of a commodity layer where multiple bureaus or the majority of the bureaus are implementing a solution, we are going to redirect with a working group so that that solution is defined uh, by our internal experts in the, ma- in the matter, is negotiated centrally, and then deployed as such. And that needs to become sort of part, part of the equation. It's almost like you have tenets. You have commandments 
that say, ye shall do this, right? And then from that generally is generated an operating philosophy that stops looking at things independently, individually, and starts looking at things in the grand scheme of the Department of Commerce. That is something that has never been done, that has rarely been done across the federal government, yep. and that has an enormous opportunity for efficiencies and cost savings. And so for us, it becomes you know, our modus operandi. Our modus operandi is you don't do anything in isolation if it's something that is not just for your, for your bureau. Maybe a good example I can think of is obviously customer experience is a good example. That's something that the Biden administration is pushing hard on. Every agency has the 21st Century Idea Act guidance that just came out. Are you looking at CX? Absolutely. Uh, so we, are, we have put together a proposal for CX. Uh, we're either going to submit it to the TMF or internally to our own NEF uh, fund um, that uses uh, previously year expended funds or expired funds. Uh, so that we are going to basically buy the entire uh, marketing technologies or MarTech stack, as it's normally called, uh, for the entire uh, Department of Commerce. There are several uh, you know, uh, advantages to that. The first one, of course, economies of scale from a pricing standpoint. The second is you know, we already have the knowledge on how to deploy it, and so it becomes an increasingly easier system to implement for all of our different websites. But the third thing is, which is even more important, is the fact that all of a sudden now we have one dashboard where we can see all of the patterns that we see in our, in our web presences, our online presences, be they uh, site stickiness, page stickiness, uh, be they navigation problems, navigation uh, patterns that you see uh, uncovered, doing A-B testing for particular ways of navigating a particular problem so that you see which way generates better results, right? In terms of conversion, people actually getting to the data that they want. So that uh, we now look at it from a whole-of-commerce standpoint and know exactly how our website properties, our mobile properties, are performing, right? And so we can then use best-case scenarios in order to influence the other ones and continue to spread it throughout the entire Environment. The same is true for not only just the navigation paradigms, but potentially look and feel. Why should there not be a look and feel to the commerce, right, that then is nuanced by each one of the bureaus? Then we can save in design, uh, in design elements. We can share design elements, and that becomes a savings of scale as well. Uh, I know with the TMF, it's always tough. You put the proposal in, and when they decide, they decide. But do you have a hope to... Get this started, get this rolled out, started to roll out in 24. Do you, is there a timeline in your mind? It's, it's definitely this year, this fiscal year, without a shadow of a doubt, especially because it's in my performance plan. So it needs to be done, right? Uh, no, I mean, that's an incentive. But, <laughs> but, but here's the reality. Here's the reality. With the TMF, one of the biggest impediments, okay, is the payback, right? Because it is difficult to calculate payback on systems that do not exist. Originally with the TMF, a lot of the emphasis was on replacing legacy technology, for which you had very well-established costs from which you could create a baseline. You submit a TMF proposal, you're proposing to do this, and it's going to run you X to, to, do, to, to, to run this when it costs you Y to run the legacy system. Simple multiplication, Excel spreadsheet, you're going to be able to pay back 25%, 50%. Everybody's better off. You replenish the fund. And the government's functionality goes up dramatically, and you get rid of legacy systems. Da, 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 da. So that is all, all fine and true. 
When you talk about something like CX, where you're either replacing nascent systems or you are putting in new functionality that doesn't exist at all, the calculation becomes more difficult. Because there is not a line item in the Bureau's budget that says CX is costing me today $12 million a year, right? And so how do you calculate that? Well, you calculate it with a cost avoidance, right? It's a squishier number. And so it becomes more difficult to justify because the reality is that those CFOs will have to agree to a repayment schedule that is predicated on an appropriation of funds that hasn't happened yet, right? And so they are always a little squishy about it. And you have to really convince them that that is a good proposition. So it's an environment where the payback process doesn't generate as much of a, uh, a benefit as it otherwise would with legacy systems. I'm glad you brought up the calculating the payback. And let's jump into that a little bit and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll continue our conversation around cloud. But one of the key pieces when you talk about clouds and some emerging, if you will, trend is the use of FinOps mm-hmm. or, or financial operations when it applies to cloud computing. How are you guys starting to use FinOps? How are you starting to look at, okay, what's that cost? What's our, what's our benefit? What's our savings or potential? What, what are we getting for more money? Talk a little bit about that calculation. Nowadays, it has become a lot easier to really calculate your cost of a cloud deployment. In, in earlier times, uh, it was uh, you know, a little more cloudy, so to speak. And also, the understanding, the expectation was that it was going to generate savings. That is no longer the case now. But the tools out there for calculating your cost for deploying a new system based on the number of instances, the overall processing capacity, the storage, uh, ingress and egress fees has become a lot more sophisticated. So we're able to deal with that uh, you know, in a far more exacting way. But even though we might not see the cost savings that one might expect originally, or even though there might be a somewhat of an increase in the overall cost of running a system, we have to get then to the functionality question that we've talked about yep. before, right? And so it's never really a simple scenario where you can, uh, you know, apportion it just to costing, just to savings, uh, just to cost slashing, because it becomes a multivariate analysis of what are the benefits that are brought to the table. And again, with all of the hidden costs that we're talking about that are very rarely calculated, but that are nevertheless are very real. So when you start looking at how you do calculate those costs, what's the process you're going through? Is it A plus B equals C, or, or do you have some sort of approach to say, how do we, if we, let's just take the CX system as an example, you have to know, okay, what, what will that potentially cost us? What are the down cost avoidance and the down? How, how do you go through that process? What's that look like, generally speaking? So we basically have to go through some data calls. Yeah. So we went through, for example, CX, let's use that as an example. We went through a data call with the bureaus, asking them what they had deployed and what it was costing them to run. And, uh, and for the other ones that did not have a system in place, how many properties were they uh, looking at, uh, at making part of this system? And what was their overall universe of, uh, of both uh, website and mobile properties so that we could calculate how many licenses they would need for administrators, for users, uh, and for storage associated with this? And then from that came a calculation of how much money they were going to spend based on market rates. We then looked at what it would cost to basically go to the Martech stack vendors that we consider to be uh, best of breed across the entire range. And that's relatively easy to establish nowadays. I told them, okay, how much is it going to cost me to get X number of licenses for this, X number of licenses for that, X number of licenses for that, 
storage for this, this capability, that capability, the redundancy uh, associated with that. And so then it became a comparison. Now, is this a absolutely apples to apples comparison? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that there's a mandate. Actually, there are several mandates. Most of them have not been funded yet, but they got to be executed. Otherwise, you will not be in compliance with either legislation uh, or with the executive order. Right. right? And so you got to go through it. So doing nothing is not an option. Doing what we used to do 13 times over in different yeah. areas that do not give you any of the benefits is not an option either. Yeah. So here's the option, and let's figure out how we're going to pay for it. And then if we need to sell that case on the Hill or to OMB in terms of we need this much money, but look at what we've saved because we did this. It becomes an easier proposition. And I'll tell you this, Jason, I think because this is important. I think the Department of Commerce has established credibility with our own budget shop, with OMB, and with the appropriators on the Hill, then when we talk about a whole-of-commerce approach, that we have been very thoughtful about it, um, and that the savings that we're bringing to the table are real, right? The functionality and speed of deployment is real. The cost avoidance is real. But also the functionality and, and the creation of safer environments and better working environments is very real. So when we go up there the next time uh, with the same type of situation, we will not get the pushback that we got the first time, that we were able to convince them. And I have to give kudos to my budget team at Commerce, OMB uh, folks that were our, uh, you know, our um, you know, examiners and the appropriators on the Hill because they gave us the opportunity to try this model. And I think it has paid off. So everybody is winning. A lot more to dig into when it talks about FinOps and understanding cloud costs. But, Andre, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will continue our conversation. My guest today is Andre Mendez, the Chief Information Officer at the Commerce Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Aptio on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Aptio on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Andre Mendez, the Chief Information Officer at the Commerce Department. Andre, the last segment we talked a little bit about this idea of FinOps, and I think for a lot of agencies, they're just starting to kind of get used to this idea of how to measure the financial operations, how to understand what the cost of cloud computing is and, and putting applications workloads in the cloud. Another piece to FinOps is the Technology Business Management Framework, or TBM, and that's a little older. A lot of agencies have been, uh, were told by OMB several years ago to begin moving to the cost towers and all the pieces and parts of TBM. So let's start there. What is commerce doing around TBM? Where are you at with that implementation effort? And, and, and most importantly, how's it helping? I think we've been very successful in, in our TBM implementation. It was very, very nascent when I first came on board. We put a lot of emphasis on it. And now I can apportion that well over 90% of our IT costs are categorized properly uh, and in the right towers. And that's a, a huge change. Now, we've had a challenge initially in terms of what were IT costs and not IT costs because there was a lot of shadow IT uh, and under-the-covers IT that was not being classified as such, and we've made very substantial progress in identifying those and then cataloging them. Of course, there's always some difficulty with some of the areas where you know they could easily fit into different categories just because of the nature of computing these days where things are not as clear-cut as they used to be. Yeah. Uh, but by and large, um, that, that, that has been addressed. It is helping us in quantifying uh, how much money we're spending uh, in O&M versus DME, for example, and showing the progress there. It is helping us to quantify 
how the migration into uh, the cloud environments uh, is changing uh, our towers, uh, you know, respective participation. And so that, that, that allows you to have a metric for, uh, for success and for demonstrating success uh, that is, uh, you know, better than, than, than anything that you can come up with on your own. It's a well-established system. So by and large, I think it's been a success for us. I don't expect that we'll ever get to 100% uh, you know, of the cataloging of all of the IT assets, but there is a point where there's diminishing returns. Uh, I think it makes uh, people very, very aware of where they're spending their money, and together with all of the other sort of mandates uh, and commandments, uh, that helps to continue to narrow uh, the field of where we're going to spend our money and how we're going to spend our money. So from that standpoint, I think the system has been tremendous. We have taken some degree of uh, leadership in that arena with, uh, with our own implementation, with folks that are very dedicated to, uh, to making sure that it's done properly and are, to a certain degree, uh, you know, influencing some of the way that the TBM uh, environment overall in the federal government is working out. We're doing the same thing with CPIC, where I think we're really making some very serious dents in the way that we used to catalog our systems and account for our systems and risk uh, and managing our portfolio. And... Um, and so I'm very pleased with that as well. Uh, in the Fatara arena. Well, let's, let, yeah, me, yeah. let me, yeah, yeah. before we jump into Fatara, because that could be a whole different uh, discussion. Yeah, yeah. Let me go back to TBM, because one of the things you mentioned was you did about 90% categorize and really understand where the IT is. Uh, but one big challenge was shadow IT. How did you overcome that? I think a lot of agencies are still facing this problem where, well, there's a closet and someone bought some software that I didn't know about it, and that will lead us to Fatar, of course, too. But talk a little bit about how you kind of tackled the shadow IT challenge and, and how TBM maybe helped. We really narrowed the definitions of, uh, of what, it, what it meant to, to buy IT, right, in terms of what you could do with a credit card versus a typical procurement environment. That has very much helped. With every system, we have an IT checklist that everybody has to go through, and if there's anything in it that falls in the, within that list, that project then becomes categorized as at least partially IT, and there is an accounting of how much of that is true. It has also helped us in terms of bringing into the fold some larger projects that have previously not been considered IT and are now considered IT, and therefore fall, fall under the aegis of our CITRB our, our commerce IT uh, review board uh, and our acquisition uh, review boards so that, uh, you know, they can no longer sort of escape uh, under that uh, limelight of the involvement of IT in these efforts. It's probably wouldn't by now a decade-long uh, process, but I think that with the progress that we've made and uh, with the controls that we've put in place over the next two to three years, we'll be very close to 100%. Related to that is you talked about the move into DMA away from O&M. Mm-hmm. Roughly, and I, and I have to give the, our friends at OMB good credit, the Federal IT Dashboard has been improved. GSA, I know, worked on that. And the data there is, is actually pretty strong around that O&M and DME piece. How much have you been able to move into that, the DME side? How much have you been able to modernize? We've been able to really dig into it and quantify those costs and, as a result, start implementing additional discipline. In terms of raw numbers... I will tell you that we have made substantial progress uh, getting into, I believe now, over 30% in DME, um, you know, from from a low of 21%, I believe, when I came on board. But the truth is that there is a, I don't want to call it the seasonality uh, to that, but there is a a time uh, association with it, especially because of the census, for example. The census is a major, major event. 
Uh, and so the DME numbers get a little skewed in that. And also around some of the replacement of NOAA's big systems and around the replacement of USPTO's big systems. But the trend is generally very positive. Okay, And again, it's a, it's a result of uh, our emphasis on all of the cloud provisions. And again, once more, into the SS software as a service first, then platform, then infrastructure. One of the big challenges, of course, is what's DME today is O&M tomorrow. And that also can skew it, right? You, you modernize something that's been developed and modernized and enhanced. And then, okay, we're going to move that, even under DevSecOps, into some sort of sustainment. You may end up with the impact of your numbers. But, but less so, yep. especially in software as a service. So it's always in DME. It, it, I, don't, I don't want to say that it's always in DME. Yeah, but the, the O&M is a, diff, a different O&M. Yep. There are no servers uh, to, to, to maintain, right? There, there's, there's no patching to be done. So there is that move from the, the cap, uh, CapEx to the OpEx that, that means something, you know. And in terms of, of TBM, it's a little harder to quantify. Right. But in terms of real results to the bottom line, is actually easy to see. And I think that's the key here, understanding where your spend is and how that spend's happening and mm-hmm. what's the impact of the spend is really, you know, it's, it's nice to say we're spending X amount of dollars on DME or O&M, but really the impact of what is what we're talking about. Yep. And I think that, that leads us to actually a good segue because you mentioned the Commerce IT Review Board, the Acquisition Review Board. All of that is, is I think, part of the, the impact of the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act, FATARA. You were about to go down there, maybe t- talk a little bit about the impact of FATAR and how has that also helped you improve the management of IT throughout commerce? I'm a big fan of Fitara because it allows for authorities to really be exercised. Now, I will tell you that I would be foolish to not think that there's a political component and a cultural component, sure. you know, especially with, uh, you know, uh, the ability to sometimes get uh, third parties to intervene in, in terms of a system continuing to operate the way it does. But having said all of that, the understanding that the authorities exist and that they can be leveraged then goes to, I think, to a certain degree to, uh, you know, uh, the amount of courage that you have to, to do to have to bring it to the table and press your point. And understanding that you might lose some of those fights, but that it's worth fighting and that in the long run, you'll win more than you'll lose. Case in point, as we go through the zero trust architecture, we have to make a very serious decision about whether to force a bureau to adopt a particular technology. And that is not easy. And it should not be done in, in a uh, cavalier way, uh, in a nonchalant way. Uh, there are costs associated with it, there are risks associated with migration, there's operational requirements associated with migrations that need to be taken into account. But I will tell you that by and large, here's the scenario. When you're doing a calculation internally for asking for money to run a system, you tend to overcalculate. When you're doing a calculation externally for how much it costs you to run a system in comparison with a centralized solution, you tend to undercalculate. And those two things need to really disappear. I think it's important the CIOs should really take it uh, as a mandate for themselves to have a very, very pragmatic cost analysis of what it costs to, uh, to do a system and to effectively be the ones dismantling their own fiefdoms where it makes sense. Right? Is, is the cost analysis you're talking about, that's the upfront cost. What do we have to do to get the grants management or the financial management system in place? 
you're also doing the, the long-term cost. Okay, what is it going to cost to sustain this and continue to develop it? Right. Is, is that part of where, whether it's TBM or FinOps or, or just the, the working groups, the, the, the committees you talked about, that they all play a role in that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that we try to do with our whole e-commerce approach, right? We create a, a task force. And then in that task force, we create working groups. And we get the best and brightest from the bureaus to come to the table and basically look at technologies, look at vendors, look at functionality, look at cost, and make a recommendation, right? And so they can't say that they're not involved. Now, I'll tell you that there's been different levels of involvement, and I can also tell you that sometimes people want to take their ball and, and go home when the choice is not what they made three, yeah. four, five years ago, right? And that, you know, to a certain degree is understandable. But the reality is that things change. A system that might have been best of breed and the best match for what you needed five years ago is now been surpassed by the by the uh, uh, by the uh, the marketplace, and also the operational paradigm might have changed. And so, while it had great advantages, but it was being run in house, now there are great advantages from having a SaaS system, right? And so, this is all a complex environment where pragmatism needs to be at the table, collaboration needs to be at the table, but at the end of the day, you got to have somebody that is willing to make the call when all of, the, um, all of the different forces are not in alignment. Yep. Because that's what leadership is about, is that change. And that's where Fatara can help Absolutely. you as CIO, can help the CFO and others kind of push that forward. Andre, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. Maybe we'll talk something else besides cloud and FinOps and TBM. There's a lot more to talk about, I'm sure, at uh, Commerce Department. But first, as I said, we'll take a break. My guest is Andre Mendez, the Chief Information Officer at the Commerce Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Aptio on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Aptio on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Andre Mendez, the Chief Information Officer at the Commerce Department. Andre, we've talked a lot about cloud. We've talked a lot about uh, understanding the cost of cloud and managing cloud. Let's talk about something else. Yeah. Specifically, you mentioned zero trust and the whole of commerce approach there. We know every agency is under a strict mandate to meet some big goals around zero trust. What are your goals this year around zero trust? How are you going to meet the mandate put out by the White House? We have made substantial progress in terms of the ZTA-ready systems in-house. We had a working group that put together recommendations around EDR, around ICAM, around the SASE solution, and are moving on into other disciplines and other towers within the, the ZTA architecture. But the important thing is to, to recognize that uh, we have done so as a group of CIOs and subject matter experts, and that we are generating very substantial uh, economies of scale associated with that. Very proud of that, because I think that uh, by, between the economies of scale and uh, a lot of the legacy systems that we can obviate at our bureaus, we can actually have a cost model that is very good. Now, understanding that um, it is not a destination, it is a journey, and that might sound a little bit like a cliche, but here's the reality. The landscape is never going to continue, uh, stop to evolve. The threats will continue to, uh, to manufacture themselves. Uh, you know, uh, the software is inherently flawed in a, in a lot of its implementations. Uh, you know, uh, end users uh, make mistakes, uh, and so it's always going to be a, an issue. But I don't think that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater with, uh, with, you know, with some folks coming to the table and basically saying, we're going to spend a lot of money on this, and at the end, we're not going to be any better off. And I've heard that. Yeah. And I've heard that. I think that that is, uh, that is just not a reflection of reality. 
As a matter of fact, just by virtue of the mandate, there's been such a focus placed on certain areas of cybersecurity that we are already better off just by virtue of people focusing on some of the issues uh, at hand that uh, have been part of their architecture. And so I am enthusiastic about that type of mandate, even when sometimes it's not fully funded, because it allows us to be resourceful. It allows us to come to the table with new and pragmatic ways of approaching these type of challenges. And I think there's tremendous opportunity for that. Again, with CX, it was the same thing. With every single requirement that becomes de rigueur in the, in the federal sector, I think it is, you know, it's, CIOs must come to the table and say, it is time to reinvent the way we do business. The landscape is changing too fast. And being in an incremental environment just does not fit the bill, right? Yeah. You see uh, federal systems that are 60 years old, 50 years old, 40 years old. That is just not sustainable, absolutely not sustainable, because the incremental pace of, of technological transformation, the expectations from our shareholders and stakeholders is changing dramatically. Look at uh, you know, uh, private sector apps. They change every night sometimes, and they come to the table with functionality that is well thought out, that is entirely based on, on human-centered design, that has great CX principles. And why? Because they're in an environment where there's competition. And in order to stay ahead of the pack, they need to ensure that their users can use their systems in such a way that their profit margins continue, right? And so we, to a certain degree, do not have the same type of impetus in the federal government. I think we need to imbue the entire workforce and our entire IT environment with that same type of, of thought process in terms of bringing value to the table, being competitive, either within agencies or across agencies, so that we basically provide a much better interface to our shareholders and stakeholders. One thing that I like to quote uh, you know, is the fact that Estonia, a country that had no IT infrastructure whatsoever, basically designed a system from the ground up that is citizen-centered, and that provides a level of functionality, navigability, and usability across their entire panoply of individuals, from children to, uh, to uh, elders, uh, that is eminently usable. And that, uh, you know, it's something that we should ascribe for, because right now we have a very different situation from that. There's so much more to talk about, but unfortunately we're out of time. Huh. I've always enjoyed our conversations. It goes by very quickly. So let me thank my guest. Andre Mendez is the Chief Information Officer at the Commerce Department. Andre, as always, is a pleasure. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for inviting me. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 